Hey, church family, uh, glad you can join us today. Now, before we get into the message, I want to give a shout out and a thank you to Julian and Julie for the amazing job they're doing on the production of our online services. We could not do this without them. So to the both of you, thank you, love you, and God bless you. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is our text. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We're now in part 10 of our series, Faith in Action. James 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, if you've been with us from the very beginning of this series, it's quite evident that James doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he is a straight-up guy, straight up. And what I love about him, he doesn't tell us what we want to hear, rather what we need to hear. And you see, he was by no means a seeker-friendly, a seeker-sensitive preacher. He was a preacher of the Word of God with no apology. And I love that. In fact, I would say that he's a in-your-face kind of guy, but he's in your face because he wants to get into your heart. And that's awesome. Now, his words in today's text are clear, concise, and to the point. And here he's continuing his train of thought from the previous chapters. So I want you to follow me here. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, he warns us of the danger of an uncontrolled tongue, how it directs our lives, how it destroys lives, and how it displays who we really are. And then in last week's text, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he showed us two kinds of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. He tell, and then he tells us uh, that worldly wisdom is earthly, earthly. It omits God from the picture. It's speaking of the world system that is anti-God. He then says it's unspiritual. It, it's sensual. It's natural. It's totally apart from the Spirit of God. He then says it's of the devil. It's demonic in nature. Its roots are rooted in hell. James then describes the pattern. Remember this, the pattern, the qualities, and the characteristics of godly wisdom, wisdom from above. And he says, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And he ends that chapter by saying, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Gosh, I love that. So he just laid it all out for us, right? He just did that. In other words, this is the way you ought to live. These are the characters that you should display in your lives. And he says, you are to sow seeds of peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. Now remember, what we are is what we live. What we live is what we sow. What we sow determines what we reap. This now brings us to today's text. The title, title of my message is Quarrels and Conflicts. Now, obviously, there was some stuff going on in the church. And you might remember back in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the rich got all the attention while the poor were ignored. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, James addressed the issue of favoritism. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Chapter 3, verse 1, apparently everybody wanted to be a teacher or to be a spiritual leader in the church, and perhaps they were impressed uh, with the authority and the prestige of the office, of the title. And so James confronts and warns those um, who are at war with each other over positions in the church. 
And in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, he talks about employment wars. And we'll get into that chapter later on in this series. You see, the churches in his day wasn't much different from the churches of today. There, there were wars, there were fightings, factions, quarrels, and, and conflicts. And James gets right down to the real issue of this problem. And he gets very personal and very practical about it. And so what he does is he, he raises questions. He raises questions to get us to really search deep within our hearts to see what, what's the real issue, what the real issue is that divides churches, that causes feuds uh, against brothers and sisters in Christ, against families and friendships. Well, as we go through the text, we'll, we'll learn that the real issue is an attitude, get this now, an attitude of worldliness. That's what creates and causes conflict in our relationships. Now, now say worldliness. Say, say worldliness. Now, now as Christians, the picture that comes to our minds when we hear the word, word excuse me, the word worldliness um, is smoking and drinking and cursing or the way someone dresses. And by the way, in some churches, you're considered worldly if you have, if you have tattoos or if you're a woman who wears uh, pants, uh, has short hair or wears makeup or a guy with long hair or you don't wear a tie, or wearing any type of jewelry. You're considered worldly. You see, worldliness in, 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 is an attitude of, of the heart. Get that? Worldliness is an attitude of the heart. And though we don't smoke and drink and chew and hang out with people that do, even though we may dress in a modest fashion, wear a tie, uh, or, and be clean cut, uh, we can still be worldly. Why? Because worldliness, listen now, is an attitude of the heart. It's making a league with people or with the people and the forces or the natural order of things, the, the natural world that opposes God. And that's what causes quarrels and conflicts. I want to share three points with you from our text today. If you're ready, say, say yes. Number one is horizontal conflict. Write that down, horizontal conflict. And this is conflict with others. It's conflict with others. Look at verse 1a with me. James writes, What causes fights, your Bibles might say wars, and quarrels among you? Now notice James says, among you, among you, which is a clear indication that there was conflict with others in the body of Christ, the church body. Members were fighting amongst one another. In the Greek, it literally reads, from where wars and from where fights among you? So the picture drawn here is one of a battlefield, of a battlefield. Now notice, notice the plurals used in the text. He uses the words fights, wars, and quarrels, which indicates that this is not an isolated event. So, so these believers were fighting. They were quarreling amongst each other. So something is seriously wrong in the church. That being said, I believe what grieves the heart of God more than anything besides seeing individuals reject him is seeing his own children fighting and quarreling amongst each other. I have a question for you. How do you feel when you see your own children fighting and quarreling amongst each other? When I see my, my children, my kids fighting and quarreling and arguing amongst each other, it breaks my heart. I don't like it. It makes me sad. It makes me very sad when I see them quarreling and fighting amongst each other. Now, can you imagine what God must feel like when he sees his own children fighting and quarreling 
amongst each other. It must break his heart. Now, just like James, Paul had his share of dealing with quarreling believers, and he firmly confronted the believers in Corinth, and, and he confronts them about their factions. So I want you to write these scriptures down. I'll give you some scriptures here, quite a bit of scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 12. And Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so what he says, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paulus. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Paul writes, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, Paul writes, For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear, listen to what he says, I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, faction, slander, Gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, the believers were suing each other in court. In 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, verses 23 through 40, 14, 23 through 40, they were competing with each other. In Galatians Chapter 5, verse 15, Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, Paul had admonished, had to admonish the Ephesian believers to cultivate spiritual unity. And in Philippians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 3, Philippians 4, 1 through 3, Paul had to deal with two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who weren't getting along. Again, we're talking about Christians here. We're not talking about non-Christians. We're talking about Christians. And I want to tell you, friends, it, it, it's a sad thing when brothers and sisters in Christ are at war with each other, leader against leader, church against church, ministry against ministry. And I got to tell you, unfortunately, I grew up in a church just like that. I mean, I mean, friends, aren't we supposed to be more like Christ and less like the world? Jesus said in John 13, write this down, John 13, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Listen to what he says. By this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, he says, if you love one another. In John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus says that all of them may be one, Father, 
maybe one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, if we expect the world to come to Jesus, then we must act and live like we belong to him. And you know what? I wonder, I wonder what the world is saying about us Christians. I wonder what our community is saying about us. Oh, how they love and how they encourage and how they care and how they forgive one another. Or is it, oh, how they compete and gossip and mistreat one another. So that being said, I have a question for you. Are you at war with anyone right now? I'm going to say it again. Are you at war with anyone right now? Is there a conflict with a brother or sister in Christ? And if so, why? If so, why? Why is it that you are at war with someone who belongs to the same family, saved by the same Savior, washed by the same blood, and indwelt by the same Spirit? Why? And I want to tell you, if you have conflict with someone, with others, make it right. Seek to make peace. Don't let it linger. Don't put it off. Make it right. Make it right and restore harmony in that relationship. I want you to write this down. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. I love that. Now, now the truth is, most of our conflict with others is over stupid, dumb stuff. Just stupid, dumb stuff. So, the way to restore conflict with others is not to, to want to win the war with others. Rather, it's to wage war against the powerful desires that are waging war within us. Which now brings me to point number two. Point number two is internal conflict. Internal conflict. And this is conflict with self. Conflict with self. And here, what James does, James answers his own question as to the source of wars and the source of fights. Look at verse 1b with me. He writes, don't, don't they come from your desires slash pleasures that battle within you? So the key word there is, is within. So, so I want you to follow me here. The wars among us, get this now, the wars among us are caused by the wars within us. I'm going to say it again. The wars among us are caused by the wars within us. Now, I've heard people say, you know, I'm this way because of my childhood, because of my parents, because of my spouse, or because of my, my kids. No, 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 you're not. You're that way because of your own inner desires that battle within you. You're that way because you're letting the old nature have its way in your life. It's the flesh. Do you remember what James said back in chapter 1, verse 14? He said, but each, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Now the words desires or, or pleasures in the text has the idea of sinful desires or the gratification of natural desire, a pleasant lust. And this is where we get our English word hedonism from. 
It's the uninhibited desire to, to fill every pleasure available. In fact, the New Testament always uses this word in the sinful sense. And this is why that listen, this is why we are to daily crucify the old nature and daily cultivate the new nature. Hey, listen now. We, we, we are either being built up spiritually or we're feeding the old nature. Now get this. When we feed the new nature, we're starving the old nature. When we feed the old nature, we're starving the new nature. You see, it's, it's the war in the heart that causes war in our relationships. And guess what? The root, get this now, the root is selfishness. Say that, selfishness. In fact, the root of all sin, all sin, is selfishness. You know, I want it. I want it now. I want it my way. I don't care about anyone else but me. I want to be filled my way when I want it and however I want it. That's selfishness. And that's the root of all sin. So James is saying the source of these conflicts is to be found in their self-centered determination to please themselves. What it is, it's an orientation to pleasure, an orientation to lust. Now listen, these pleasures are viewed as being engaged in military warfare to satisfy their lust. And you see, James traces all of our conflicts and quarrels back to this selfish determination to satisfy our desires, to satisfy our lusts. It's all about us, about our interests, our agenda. It's selfishness. I want you to write these scriptures down, go home and read them. Romans chapter 7 Verses 15 through 25. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. And also Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2, verses 3 through 4. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, and verses 20 through 21. Now get this. Personal gratification is the reason for a conflict in the Christian community. I'm going to say it again. Personal gratification is the reason for conflict in the Christian community. Friends, listen now. We need to look within and see that our own selfishness is at fault. Now, what comes to mind is the fall of man. The fall of man had to do with selfishness. Do you remember what God said to Adam and Eve? God said to Adam and Eve, you can have all of this. You can eat from this tree and that tree, but this one tree you must not eat of. And you know the story, right? They didn't listen. They wanted more. They, they weren't satisfied. They weren't content. They wanted something. Listen now. They wanted something that was out of bounds, out of bounds, that was not theirs. Let's go back to the text. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You see, any desire, got to get this now, any desire out of control, out of, out of God's intended purpose becomes destructive. In fact, this is what happened to, uh, with David in his, battle, excuse me, in his sin with Bathsheba. He, his uncontrolled desire got him into trouble and he paid a heavy, a heavy, excuse me, a heavy price for it. Now notice, there's also unfulfilled desires. And, and, and unfulfilled desires, get this now, unfulfilled desires lead to wrong actions. Look at verse 2a with me, verse 2a. James writes, you want something, but don't get it. 
Did you get that? You want something, but don't get it. The King James says it like this. Ye lust and have not. Ye lust and have not. Let's read on. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. So, so perhaps the folks in the church were materialistic-minded. They didn't have what others had, and, and they wanted it, but couldn't get it. And so they were coveting, coveting. Look at the text again. You kill and covet. The idea here has the possibility of lethal hatred rather than literal murder. The idea is that covetousness, um, covetousness results in destructive behavior. That's the idea here. Listen, almost all evils in life come from our system of coveting. I want it, got to have it. The verb for lust, the verb for lust means to turn upon a thing, to turn upon a thing, to covet, to fix desire upon, to long for. In the present tense, listen now, it means to keep on coveting after something, to keep on coveting after something. The idea in this verse is to boil, got to get this now, to boil with desire towards something that belongs to someone else. I'm going to say it again, okay? The idea is to boil with desire towards something that belongs to someone else. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it, friends? Think about it, right? Let's be honest, right? We want what others have, and we'll do anything to get it. But when we don't get it, we get frustrated, causing us to quarrel and fight. Now, now, now the lust is not just for possessions. Sometimes the lust is for power and position in the church. And, and we end up butting heads with other people in the church. And it happened with Jesus' disciples. Write this down, Mark 9, 33 and 34. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 and 34. And it says this, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest. So it could be a, a power or lust, excuse me, a lust for power and position in the church. Look at verse 2b with me. James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, there's a lesson there. This is a lesson. Learn to ask. Write that down. Learn to ask. Do you know that God wants to bless you? He does. God wants to bless you, but you got to ask. You got to ask. And he wants you to ask him because asking is an act of dependence upon him. But, listen now, but when you ask, you got to ask with the right heart, with the right motives. Let's move on. Look at verse 3. He writes, when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Why? Because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The King James says that ye may consume it upon your Lust. Now listen, your prayer life, your prayer life or lack of it reveals 
the focus of your heart. Now, I want you to follow me here, okay? If, if you don't pray, if you don't pray, it shows that your focus is not on God. It's on who? It's on you. So if you don't pray, the focus is on you, not God. That's selfishness. And if you pray selfishly, it shows that you're using God for your own purposes rather than seeking His purposes. Okay, it's for your gain rather than for his glory. Now, I want to say this. When you pray with wrong motives, okay, it will hinder your prayers and hijack your blessings. So there's a lesson here. Here's a lesson. God answers prayers when we pray legitimately. I'm going to say it again. God answers prayers, okay, when we pray legitimately. Got it? When we pray Legitimately, there's a legitimate ask and a non-legitimate ask. Listen, when we pray for a need, a desire, we should always end that prayer with, not my will, Lord, be done, but your will be done in my life. So write this down, 1 John 5, chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Again, 1 John 5, 14 through 15. I love these verses. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, listen now, get this now, that if we ask anything, here, here, here's a key phrase, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him, but it's gotta be according to his will. Not just the right motives, but according to his will. So there's horizontal conflict that's, that is uh, uh, with others, conflict with others. There's internal conflict that's conflict with self. And number three is vertical conflict. Vertical conflict. Horizontal conflict, internal conflict, and vertical conflict. This is conflict with God. Conflict with God. Look at verse four with me. James writes, you adulterous people. Now, James is using this in the figurative sense, not a literal sense, okay? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world, and by the way, friends, friendship with the world is a dangerous, is a dangerous friendship. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Man, that's heavy stuff there. Hatred toward God so what he says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James is talking about a believer here who has a divided heart. And what he does here, friends, is bring up a theme in the Old Testament that God is the husband and we are the bride. In fact, write this down, Isaiah 54, 5. Isaiah 54, Verse 5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Now, many times in the Old Testament, God accuses Israel of spiritual adultery, of spiritual fornication because of their unfaithfulness to him and their unfaithfulness to his covenant. Now, listen. Just as marital adultery is serious sin, so is spiritual adultery. 
And what James does, James tells it like it is. You adulterous people, he says, why are you engaging? Why are you entertaining? Why are you immersed in the things of the world? Don't you know that the world, don't you know to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God? Don't you know that you are not of this world? Write this down, John 17, verses 14 through 16. John 17, verses 14 through 16 says, Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now get this, get this, okay, get this. The church is in the world, that's a good thing. But the world and the church, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Let me put it this way, and I want you to follow me here. A boat in water, a boat in, a boat in water, a good thing. Water in a boat, not a good thing. Are you getting it? Not a good thing. A.W. Tozer said, a, a whole new generation of Christians has come up believing that it is possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. Huh. If you're saved, say amen. Question. Are you better friends with the world or with God? I'm going to say it again. Are you better friends with the world or with God? Let me ask you this. From, from which do you get your primary pleasure? The world or God? The world or God? Listen, when it comes to your lifestyle, how you live, how you behave, the things that you do, would others say that you're worldly or that you're, you're godly? You see, what James is saying is, if you know Jesus, if you know God, then you're married to him. You're married to him. Listen, friends, we violate intimacy with God by loving the world because the world is the devil's kingdom and system of values. Now, I want to say this. The world, the world here in our text is not referring to our planet. It's not referring to the flowers and the sun and in the sky and the moon, okay, and the trees. It's not referring to our planet. It's referring to the system that man has built, a system that is totally anti-God. This system is centered on satisfying the lust of the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life. And you'll find that in 1 John 2.16, 1 John 2.16. It's, it's, it's human society, get this now, apart from God. He, God, he, God is unwelcome. He, God is unwanted. This system is a self-centered Satan philosophy that is hostile towards God. And because that system is an enemy of God, got to get this now, because that system is an enemy of God, for us to be a part of that system is to assign ourselves to the position, to the position of an enemy of God. It's heavy stuff. You see, living to please the old nature is to declare war against God. To allow the flesh to control us is to lose the blessing of fellowship, not sonship, but fellowship with God. And we all know that that's not an, enjoy, an enjoyable place to be. God, listen now, God wants 
in exclusive love. So there's a lesson here. What's the lesson? Write this down. Don't be cozy with the world. Don't be cozy with the world. That's the lesson. Don't be cozy with the world. Friends, we cannot love God and the world at the same time. It's either or, not both end. And he demands that our love for him be mutually exclusive. You see, God doesn't want his bride, the church, that's you and I, to get into bed with the world. Question. Are you giving allegiance? Are you giving allegiance to things that are contrary to God's word? I'm going to say it again. Are you giving allegiance to things that are contrary to God's word? Follow me. Are you watching things and listening to things or doing things or anything blatantly opposed to God, to his word? And if you are, stop doing it. Repent from it and forsake it. Verse five, let's move on, verse five. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? The Amplified Bible says it like this, or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking to no purpose that says the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us and he yearns for the spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love? Listen, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us yearns over us with jealousy for our entire devotion to God. That's what it's saying. God is a jealous God, and God will not tolerate unfaithfulness. He doesn't share himself with anyone or anything. He's a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14, Exodus 34, verse 14 says this, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You see, God is a righteous jealous husband towards his people. And he will not tolerate any rivals. His is a righteous jealousy because we belong to him and to him alone. Now, if you're saved, say amen. We are the bride of Christ. You and I, we're saved. We are the bride of Christ and his Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go anywhere else to have our needs met. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, I say to you, don't flirt with the world. Stop any affairs with the world right now. Stop it. Stop it. And you see what James is saying is, if, you, if you're having conflicts, excuse me, if you're having conflicts in your relationships, the place to begin is to turn away from any spiritual adultery and be fully devoted to to God, because living for self and seeking pleasure apart from God is to commit spiritual adultery. In fact, friends, listen now, in fact, if you're in conflict with someone right now, it might be that you're living for self, which is the essence of worldliness. That's the real issue. So in order for us to resolve our conflicts, we need to humbly come before God and allow his grace to help us. That being said, 
James now deals with how God views the humble believer. The next verse shows that there's a, a great difference, a vast difference between pride and humility. So I want you to follow me. Look at verse 6a. But he gives us more grace. Love that. This literally means greater grace. But he gives us more grace. In fact, Romans 5.20b says this. Romans 5.20b says, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You should love that. I love that. There's a lesson here, and this is the lesson. We can never, get this now, we can never exhaust God's grace. You got to believe that. We can never exhaust God's grace. And friends, regardless of our situation or need, God will never, 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 never run out of grace. There'll always be enough grace. He gives it in abundance. Someone please say amen to that, right? Abundance. John Blanchard said this, and I love what he said. For daily need, there's daily grace. For sudden need, there's sudden grace. For overwhelming need, there's overwhelming grace. Don't you love that? Grace. We can never exhaust God's grace. So he says, but he gives us more grace. Look at verse 6b. That is why Scripture says, so here James indicates the reason God makes his grace available to us. This is why Scripture says, God opposes, opposes the proud and gives grace, say grace, to the humble. Listen, God doesn't, God doesn't, excuse me, God doesn't give grace to the proud, self-reliant, selfish person. He opposes that kind of person. In fact, the King James Bible says that God resists, he resists the proud. That's a military word. It means that God battles against the proud. He takes an active battle stand, stand against the proud. That's heavy. So God opposes, he opposes the proud, but he what? He gives grace to the, say it, to the humble, to the person who depends on him for divine help to deal with a worldly attitude and who recognizes that they're empty without him and ask him to fill him, to fill them, excuse me, to fill them with his grace. So he poses the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what I want to do right now, I want, I want to close with showing you how to walk in humility before God. How to walk in humility before God. There's, there's four ways. Okay, follow me. Here we go. The first way is pray for a humble heart. Write that down. Pray for a humble heart. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the ways in which pride gets in the way of our relationships. Listen, as Christians, humility shouldn't be momentary. It should be a way of life. And we need to pray daily, daily, and surrender our will to God that we would come to the place. Listen now, come to the place where our total sufficiency rests in Him and His ability towards us. So we must pray for a humble heart. God, give me, God, give me a humble heart. The second way is 
pay attention to our own faults than to the faults of others. Pay attention to our own faults than to the faults of others. You know what, friends? Our own faults ought to interest us more than the faults of others. Because why? Because they're our own. They're our own. And being our own, we are responsible for them. Now listen and get this. We don't have to answer for any other one's sins, but we have to answer for ours and our own sins. And the responsibility for getting rid of them is ours. So we need to pay attention and focus on our own faults. We have many faults in our lives to focus on to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Amen? The third way is serve others. Serve others. Pray for a humble heart. Pay attention to our own faults and the faults of others and serve others. The fastest way to humility, listen now, is the way Christ chose. Write this down, Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Serve others. Are you serving others? And finally, the fourth way, and I love this, is remember who's in charge. Pray for a humble heart. Pay attention to our own faults than the faults of others. Serve others and remember who's in charge. You know, it's hard to keep things in perspective if we don't remember who God is and that he's in charge. I want you to write this down. This is one of my favorite verses, John 3.30, John 3.30. And there John writes, he must, he says, he says, he must increase, Jesus must increase, and John says, I must decrease. And John knew full well, friends, that his life wasn't for his own glory, but about exalting his Lord. And you see, being humble, listen now, being humble isn't merely thinking less of ourselves. Rather, it's thinking more and more and more of God. And John got it. He got it right. He must increase and I must decrease. So I want you to follow me here. Humility, humility actively recognizes God for who he is. The creator, the almighty, the savior, the eternal king. It is, listen, it's constantly acknowledging his infinite great, greatness. It, it, it's holding on to it, listen now, for sustenance instead of struggling for self-reliance. It's, it's honoring his will way above our own will. It's knowing we're nothing apart from him. And it's knowing he's the holy one holding us in his hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing word that, that cuts right to the heart, Lord. And might we stay in the word to, to keep us from being cozy with the world. So, so Lord, search our hearts. If there's anything in our lives that is violating our intimacy with you, if, if we are giving allegiance to anything, Lord, that is contrary to your word, might we recognize it, repent from it, and forsake it. And Lord, if there's any conflict in our relationships, might we seek to make peace and restore harmony. And Father, might we always be mindful that you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. Daily grace, sudden grace, and overwhelming grace. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. See you next week.